Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's doing good. Welcome to Fire for Effect, Episode 2. Apologize for this coming out late. November was a busy month with Remembrance Day. I was also on a hunting trip and uh, went to Europe to visit some buddies for uh, a little while as well. Fire for Effect is brought to you by DeanBlundell.com. Go to DeanBlundell.com, Canada's biggest digital media source for sports, news, and podcasts. And you can find uh, Fire for Effect if you click on the menu item at DeanBlundell.com and scroll down to podcasts. And there's a whole bunch of other really fucking cool podcasts on there as well, so do check it out. Fire for a Fact is also brought to you by Positive Mike's Brewing Company. Positive Mike's, you can get the gear, but you can't get the beer. Well, not yet. I can get the beer. But uh, check out Positive Mike's on whatever your social media platform of choice is, and you can get some pretty cool swag off of them. In episode two, I get to sit down with a good friend of mine. He is a 22-year veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces. He is an infantryman, currently employed in the 1st Battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, as the company quartermaster for Charlie Company, which means he now hands out glow sticks and wash basins to the troops. Prior to that, he spent the bulk of his career as a sniper, including deployments as such to Afghanistan. And In most of episode two, that's what we sit down and talk about. It was a really good time. I enjoyed recording it. He tells a really good story, and uh, I hope you guys like it. We tipped a few beers, had a few laughs. I probably had a few more beers uh, than he did, but we had a great time doing it. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mr. Morgan Warren. starts to raise glass. It's good to have you here, brother. Awesome to be here. I'm trying to be quiet because I got jacked up for clanging on the metal. <laughs> Before we kick it off, as I said, very good friend of mine, Morgan Warren, guest number two, episode two. If you come on the show, you get a gift. Right there on. you go. I got some fucking swag. That's a monkey shit green shirt. I asked for all of drab. I got uh, neon fucking Miami Vice green. That's awesome. Appreciate it, Chris. Um, thank you for coming, man. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a good conversation tonight. So, um, one of the traditions we started here is if you come on the show, you have to fill in the gaps on the wall. So when JT was here, and for everybody watching, JT is uh, behind acting as producer, director, blah, blah, blah. And he brought his uh, ISAF ball hat out and uh, Morgan was kind enough to bring a, a ball hat in, so I'll, I'll let you fucking yeah, well, discuss what when you, you sent what me you the, uh, there. When you sent me the picture of the, the hat, I thought to myself, that's that's the, the perfect thing to bring. Uh, you know, we were talking about it earlier, the, the baseball hat, it's it's one of those things that's like a, a quintessential like part of like our time in Afghanistan. It was For one of those sure. things. We all had ball hats. We all wanted to wear them. Our sergeant majors yelled at us every second they had because they absolutely didn't want us to wear one. And it's just become a part of, of our generation. So uh, what I've brought to you is a, uh, uh, a sniper ball hat. Uh, my last uh, posting, I was at the infantry school. I was the OIC of sniper cell there. And uh, yeah, so this is from uh, from there. So Three, brother. Man, I appreciate that, bro. And uh, when we have a lull in the firefight here, we'll fucking make sure she gets put on the wall. Thank you very much. In the interim, I'm going to put it right there. So right on, let's get into it. And I'm going to start with the same kind of uh, the shit I usually start with with every guest that I'm bringing on the show. Um, Tell me, why did you want to join the Army and like how that rolled out? I don't know exactly why I wanted to join the Army, but I always wanted to join the Army. From as early as I can remember, when I was before I started grade school, it was one of these things I was fascinated with the Army. Uh, I was fascinated with Remembrance Day, and uh, it's, it's the only thing I can, I can really remember. I always wanted to join the Army. That's what I always told my parents I was going to do. I told my teachers, and uh, the first opportunity I had, I, I joined the Army Reserve when I was still in high school. And uh, yeah, so it's it's just something I always wanted to do. It's just hardwired in me, I guess. So, what year did you join? I joined the uh, the Army Reserve in uh, Saint John's, Newfoundland, in uh, October 
Was that Royal Newfoundland Regiment? Yeah, 1st Battalion, Royal Newfoundland Regiment. So they have like 9,000 guys, don't they? Like, <laughs> yeah, they're like yeah, one yeah. of the biggest fucking units in the country, man, from like back in the day they were. Yeah, there's, it's still a large unit. I think a lot of the uh, reserve units in uh, Eastern Canada are Hard motherfuckers, uh, that's for large. sure. You know, having the privilege of uh, working with those guys. And like, yeah, well, I mean, we, can, we can put a battalion together, no fucking problem. If, if the regular force is short, we got, we got like fucking 900 guys ready to roll. <laughs> You can't fish for that cod as much as you used to be able to. So, so how long were you with them? I was actually only with the Royal Newfoundland Regiment for about a year, uh, and uh, I finished high school and I put in my component transfer in uh, would have been November of uh, two thousand. Okay. And uh, it, that was processed rather quickly, and then I found myself in Wainwright, Alberta, in uh, on the twentieth of January two thousand one. And what what uh, what drove that decision? Like, why did you? decide okay i've did the reserve thing for a year and change or whatever it was now you want to uh go make a career out of it well i mean i did the reserve thing because i was still in high school and if i didn't finish high school my dad would beat the shit out of me okay. so i had to, so i had to finish high school and it was a part-time job uh it, you know it paid well and that was my foot in the door to the to the army and i wanted to join the army as quickly as i could and then as soon as i was finished high school um then I was like, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, going to go to big leagues. So, you know, I put in my transfer, went to uh, went to Wainwright, became a member of the uh, first battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, uh, here in Edmonton, and uh, did three years there. Um, I was actually not very pleased with the first battalion, and I actually released for actually I shouldn't say I released. I component transferred back to my old reserve unit, uh, only so I could be oh, there. Oh wow! For, only okay. so I could be there. I did there. not know that. Yeah. I, and the reason I did that is because I was in a mechanized unit, and I really didn't enjoy being in a mechanized unit. I, I joined the army to do what every guy wants. If you want to jump out of airplanes, and shoot guns, and uh, wear rucksacks, wear and walk, rucksacks, and walk long distances yeah, unnecessarily. All, that, all those miserable yeah, things that yeah, you see in movies that yeah. are, are, are glorious, but they're absolutely horrible. Uh, so anyway, I uh, went back to the uh, went back to my reserve unit, resubmitted another component transfer because they would not transfer me from the first battalion to the third battalion, even though it was just down the street. So I went back to the reserves, component transferred back to the uh, regular force, and I was sent to the 3rd Battalion, fortunately. I mean, it was a huge gamble, but it worked out for me, and I think that was definitely a turning point for my, my career. If I hadn't have ended up in the 3rd Battalion, where I was from 2005 until 2017, I don't even know if I would have had the opportunities that, I, that were given to me, and I don't even know if I would have stayed in the Army as long as I did. But the 3rd Battalion, you know, when I got there, I was, you know, as they say, born again hard. And uh, everything that I ever wanted to do, I got to do in the 3rd Battalion. Uh, me and uh, a lot of the guys, we refer to the 3rd Battalion as like the land of infantry opportunity. Like it's a, it's a light unit, so we're, we're not uh, bogged down, yeah. getting qualified on vehicles. We can do all the cool things. We can do para and mountain ops and helicopter operations. And that's kind of our mandate. So I got to do all the cool things that you know most guys join the Army to do. To break it down for everybody, Canada has three regular infantry battalions. Sorry. To break it down for everybody, Canada has three regular infantry regiments, which consist of the uh, the Royal Canadian Regiment, the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, and the Vandus. Yes, the Vandus are the Royal Twenty Second Regiment. Correct, the French. Yeah, so and every re you know the three regiments are broken down into three battalions. So we've got nine nine battalions. Yeah, so you've served in I've one served VP and three and three VP, but you were never in two VP. No, uh, and the way it's the infantry battalions are structured, your first and your second battalions are mechanized battalions, and your third battalions are light battalions. Right, and that's the same across the board with the Vandus as well as the RCRs. Right, the third battalion. Now retains the uh, para capability, yes. Uh, mountain, all that fucking, yeah. all that light shit yeah. that you don't get in the in the two mechanized no. battalions. Yeah, when the Airborne Regiment was disbanded there in '95, yeah. uh, a lot of those replaced guys, by C store. Yeah, eventually, yeah, but prior Which to that, '95, a lot of those old old jumpers ended up in the third battalions. Yeah, where yeah, they, they formed the jump companies, the absolutely. para companies that created that got us to where we are today, which is. You know, fed the Canadian Special Operations Regiment. Absolutely. Okay, right on. So, you um, you land in third or first for? I was in the uh, in the first battalion from uh, okay. from uh, May two thousand one until uh, two thousand and four. So, how was that? Walk 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 me through what's going on because actually, hang on, let's let's rewind um, because it's still fresh. 
I'm kind of asking guys, uh, September 11th, 2001, where are you, what's going on, and, and, and what's, your, what's your thought process? Well, so uh, on September 11th, 2001, uh, we went to work like everybody else did, and we were doing PT. Uh, I was in one platoon, uh, A company in the 1st Battalion, and we were just in front of the 1st uh, the Battalion lines, and there's a, a soccer pitch and a and baseball diamond out there. And we were actually doing circuit training on the baseball diamond with, uh, with the NCOs, and they were just running the guts out of us. And that's exactly where I was. Now, we, we weren't aware that anything had happened until after PT, we walked back into the building, and uh, we had an old grainy, you know, shitty tube TV from you know, the 90s in yeah. the back of our lines. And, and the, the picture wasn't very clear, but, you know, we could see one of the towers on fire and our CQ was there. And he just kind of... This is when the first tower got hit. This is when the first tower got hit. You're, you're, you're not dialed into the fact that this is a fucking terrorist event as of yet. As of it's, yet. It's just a, wow, what the fuck's that? up with that? It, okay. it, it was, but our, our CQ was an old Airborne Regiment guy. And uh, he took one look at everybody and he's like, well, fellas, he goes... You know, Pack hit, your fucking kit, boys. <laughs> he's well. He's like, all right, boys. He goes, hit the showers. He goes, and make sure Ops One Hundred and Fifty is packed. He goes, because who knows? And so we all went. So I went back to the shacks. I was living in the shacks at the time, and of course, we turned the news on immediately. And it was there that we seen the second plane in the second tower. What's Ops One Hundred and Fifty? Break it down. Oh, so on your Ops One Hundred and Fifty. It's just it's just a, a kit list, uh, a basic kit list to make sure that you have every piece of equipment that you need, you know, packed, ready to go. It's a pretty uh, a basic kit list. Um, so everything, you know, your socks, underwear, boots, boot laces, uh, anything mission essential that you're going to need. All your base necessities and you're on, let's say 24, 48 hours notice to fucking bang out. Absolutely. Um, okay. Right, right on. So, so then keep going. Like where did it, when did you know that, oh shit, this is a fucking terrorist attack and... It, at some point, we're going to go to war because three VP went out first. Yeah, which because uh, which, they were the high readiness. I mean, when that, at the time they were the high readiness unit at the time. Uh, I mean, as soon as that, I mean, we were all suspect when the first plane. I mean, it was a you know. Well, you'd have to be. I mean, it was like a seven. You'd have to be. It was a seven thirty seven hit the World Trade Center. I mean, planes don't fly. I mean, passenger planes don't fly that no. low. So I mean, right away, I mean. You know, spotty senses are tingling. And then when that second plane hit, I mean, nobody had to tell us. I mean, we drew those conclusions ourselves pretty quickly. 100%. And I mean, a lot of young guys, I mean, here we are 20 years old, and we're like, holy shit, boys, we're going to war. Like, and that was the first thought in our head. Now, which is two things. I mean, it's absolute terror and absolute excitement at the same time, because, I mean, that's why we joined the Army. I mean, it's, don't want to be morbid, and nobody wants war, but I mean, at the same time, you know, you don't want to do all these training exercises and not deploy, right? No, it's it's like... If you played hockey and just practiced forever. Yeah, everybody wants to play in a big show. Like, you've been over there, I've been over there. It it fucking sucks. Yeah. But it's what we do. It's, it's what we do, and it's what we want to do. It's what we want to do. You're right. And that that's, for a lot of people, can't get their head around that. It's like, no, I don't want to go, but you bet your fucking ass, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Right? Yeah. 100% I mean, all I- goddamn day, I'm going to go. And we've seen it before where there are guys that were on like the brink of a release for, for no particular reason other than like their time was up and then like an, another roto would come around or they needed op replacements and guys would pull releases and they would go back and they're like, well, man, if, all the, if the boys are going back, I'm not going to let the boys go by themselves, you know? And it, it, it was not an uncommon thing and I'm sure it happened in every, every unit. Yeah, and I mean, even for me, like I told this story of when I talked to JT in the last episode, I said... I came back and I had no fucking desire to go back there because I just got back. It's like I need a lonely action. Absolutely. But then Jen, my ex-wife at the time, got her first opportunity to go. I'm like, well, fuck it. And and I'd already been approached to go back in the role I went in on my second tour. So on the Friday, I went, no, I'm not fucking going. And then on the Monday, I'm like, I'm in. And it was like that, right? And it's good because there's you you do not want to miss out on the fucking game, the big no. show, man. Absolutely, that, that you want to go out. and do what you do. Like, I can't imagine a military career where you ducked or avoided the the fucking big show, the deployment. No. It's, it's what we do, and um, yeah, so I get that. Okay, so that happens. Um, 
Now, everybody wants to hear about that when you got into snipers. Was that before your first tour to Afghanistan? Or do you want to walk me through your deployments so, first? Like, okay, how do you want to break that down? Through, we can walk through my deployment. So my very yeah. first deployment was in uh, March of 2003. So the 3rd Battalion was already back from Afghanistan. Yeah. And uh, But they had a, uh, an air base set up in the Emirates. And they wanted uh, just a, a defense and security platoon. So that was a task that was given to the 1st Battalion. Uh, so and that's a fucking shit task. It was it was a shit task, but as a young as a young private, I'm like, You're I'm, like go, I'm, I'm going go. to, I'm going to sure. the Middle East. Now, and, and remember, this was before like uh, the U.S. Army and the U.S. Marines invaded uh, Iraq the second time. So now, right? I was in Bosnia at the time watching that in March of '03 on TV. So when when '03 were you there? Uh, well, it was March to May of '03. Okay, so it was um, right about when uh, Iraq two was kicked kicking off. off. Yeah. Okay. okay. So and we seen all the Americans, you know, everybody kind of coming through there. Yeah. And, and guys were shipping out, and so we were well aware of kind of what was going on or what was going to go on. Um, I mean, and we were we were pretty jealous, but at the same time, we were happy to be deployed when most guys were going to Bosnia. Or getting back from Bosnia, like we were that much closer. We we were in the Middle East, so we had a you know we, we were we were happy to be there, especially for our first deployment. It was a, it was a nice introduction to deployments. I'll say okay. that. Uh, next deployment then was uh, uh, one hundred eight in uh, two thousand eight, and that was a, a battle group tour with uh, two PPCLI actually, and we had a company from the third battalion was attached to uh, the second battalion. Yep. So while we were there, uh, I was qualified sniper prior to my prior to that deployment, but I was uh, part of uh, a company as a as a, well, a, a uh, section two IC, so second in command of a section. And uh, when we got on the ground there, they were short snipers, and uh, it was myself and another individual from my platoon. We were actually we actually got pulled into the uh, sniper platoon uh, with the second battalion. So uh, you were. Deployment. Basic sniper or your advanced sniper? Oh, I was basic sniper qualified at the time, and I was okay. So let's 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 hold pause that, rewind back. When did you decide? Well, fuck. This is a stupid question, but for everybody else out there, how do you know you want to become a sniper? You know what? What's it like on on the selection to get there, and and, and you know as much as you can because there's a lot of, you know, still some opsec around that 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 uh, tr- uh, skill set. Like walk me through becoming, you know, number two rifleman. So to fucking becoming a sniper. So. Even when you first join, like you're not familiar with a lot of the specialties, you know, whether, you know, like it's uh, like EOD or Sniper or Pioneer. Yeah, like I'm You, you, you kind of hear about it. My career definitely went right wheel and landed in shit that I did not start in. Yeah, and, and it was one of those things I had a, 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 a sequence of, you know, fortunate events like most of us. The Army is a lot of uh, uh, like you're right place, right time. Absolutely. For, for, for a lot of Absolutely. things. Right? And if you can perform, you'll get these qualifications. Mm-hmm. So... At this point in time, I was aware of, you know, like our reconnaissance platoon and, and, and snipers. And I, I was qualified a, a reconnaissance, basic reconnaissance, which is actually a prerequisite to become a sniper in the Canadian Army. Yeah. Uh, and I had a, a CQ, a company quartermaster, who was, he was qualified sniper. And for whatever reason, he must have seen something in, there was three guys in the, in the, in the, uh, in the company, my, myself, my, my partner, uh, Nick Turner, uh, you know his father. And, uh, yeah, I do. And uh, an, another friend of mine, Gavin Jones. Our company quartermaster pulled us aside. He's like, "Hey, fellas," he goes, "Do you want the opportunity?" He goes, "To do sniper," and as corporals, we're, the obvious answer is yes. So, uh, so from there, uh, we were sent from Southfield back to Edmonton to do the uh, pre-sniper training with the first battalion, and that was uh, that was just two weeks of essentially getting beasted, <laughs> you know, just to kind of see if you can put up with it. In the yeah, meantime, like- they did teach us some of the basic skills, try to feed us through, uh, you know, uh, try to drink out of a fire hose. Uh, just to see what we were able to retain with absolutely no instruction. Yeah, like from what I know from you, and I'm, I'm fortunate to know, ironically weird, and a lot of fucking snipers in my, <laughs> came into my world in the last few years. And from what I get, you correct me if I'm wrong here, pulling the fucking trigger is the last thing on the list. It's all the shit getting up to that. Absolutely. And we could go down this rabbit hole forever and, and what snipers bring to the battle space is a fucking lot more than 
taken out of target. You know, the intelligence they gather, all the shit they do to get up to the point where they're in a position to actually fucking pull that trigger. There's more to it, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I mean, the the biggest part of being a sniper is, is your field craft. So it's your, your ability to operate, you know, uh, on the battlefield. And you're going to be operating alone, not alone as in like by yourself alone, but in small groups. You're going to be away from the main body. So... Yeah, we could be operating anywhere from 24 to 96 hours, you know, worst case scenario by ourselves. So think of all the equipment you'd have to carry, just radio batteries and food and water for so for 96 hours and you're by yourself. So you're going to be disgustingly uncomfortable. Like it's not a comfortable job. Uh, and everybody's familiar with all the sniper movies. Uh, and they make, it look yeah. really, they make it look really glorious and really cool. And I mean, Hollywood's done a great job to help us kind of recruit for, young snipers. For sure. And it's been awesome. But I mean, our job is kind of miserable most of the time. But let's be honest. What I, what I what I do know is that a, a sniper team, like a a, a two man or whatever it is, mm-hmm. a fucking sniper that's out there, can absolutely one hundred percent impact an enemy battalion's worth of guys. Absolutely. If they know there's a sniper out there, that will demoralize them. It'll fuck up their 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 how they operate, like the interdiction level by putting a sniper team out. And the bad guys know they're out there. That's that's a fucking huge asset to the battlefield yeah. commander. The psychological effect I think that snipers have on the battlefield is 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 greater probably than any than anything like probably anything else on the battlefield. Simply because uh, once again we get back. You know Hollywood's definitely helped us out with creating this like mystique around snipers and sniping and and these you know these these badass dudes on you know on the battlefield um, that are you know they're 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 hard to find, if, you know, if, if you can find them at all. And, what you know, it, if you're in a defensive position, you're minding your own business and all of a sudden there's a single shot reduction. Like one person in that defensive position is killed with a single shot. And guys know there's a sniper out there. Like, they don't want to stick their heads out of their holes. They, they, they don't. And here we have, and th- th- those snipers could have made their shot and left. But the fact that they know snipers could be there it's their heads down. Their, their their heads are down, and they're like, "Wow, like somebody is actively hunting us." This isn't a bomb. People are getting indiscriminately killed. People, we are stop. We are crawling around. We are looking for faces, and we're taking people out one at a time. It's very calculated, you know. So absolutely. So it's you know it's it, it affects morale massively on uh, on the battlefield. Okay, so your qualified sniper, task force one hundred eight. Is coming up. You're going out the door. Walk us through that deployment. So, like I said before, uh, a company from the third battalion was attached to. Uh, so you're in third battalion I was in, at this time. Yeah, I was in third battalion, Princess okay. Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, a company, uh, one platoon, and uh, our company was attached to uh, the battle group as well as the uh, officer mentor liaison teams. So uh, one okay. platoon, one platoon got attached to Bravo Company. Uh, three platoon was attached to Charlie Company from the second battalion, and uh, our two platoon was actually split up amongst the like the officer mentor liaison teams like all across Afghanistan. So uh, and, and where are you operating? So we were operating uh, in uh, uh, Panjway uh, West. Okay, so, so the, and that's that's southwest of Kandahar City. For those of you that are on Google Maps, wondering yeah. where that is right now. Yeah, very in very close proximity to the Aragandab River. So yeah, it was a lovely place. Uh, so yeah, so uh, so we land there. Uh, our, our platoon does. Uh, we land at Kandahar Airfield. We do all of our acclimatization and our briefs and uh, and and whatever. Uh, and just uh, slightly off topic, but the things that you remember, like your first day in country. And the first day we landed there, it was dark. We'd flown in from uh, uh, from Dubai, and uh, that that evening actually there was an ID strike, and uh, there was a young uh, Strathcona trooper, uh, Trooper Hayakazi, was killed. Uh, and I don't know. It's one of those things that sticks in your mind. Like, why do why do I remember that one fact? But yeah. I, I do, right? And uh, yeah, and he was he was from Edmonton. Went to East Glen High School here in Edmonton, and it's just one of those things. Like, I never met the guy in my life. Didn't even know he existed before that day. So that was that was here. We're in Afghanistan for three hours. That's the first thing that happened. Uh, from there, we were pushed out to uh, patrol base uh, Spurwangar um, to link up with the rest of Bravo Company, Second uh, Battalion. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and. Uh, 
Bravo Company was actually kind of spread out along. And uh, at this point, you're, you're not a sniper. You're no. At this point in time, I was a second in command of a of a section. I was in uh, three sections, so call sign uh, one one Charlie. Or actually, we weren't one one Charlie because we were a fourth platoon in Bravo Company. So we actually got renamed. We were given a new, another call sign, which was two uh, four. Uh, so we were call sign two four. So I was two four Charlie. Because normally the way the infantry battalions work, like you get, you've got uh, A company, B company, C company. Every platoon, every company has three platoons. So you've got one, two, and three in Alpha, uh, four, five, six in uh, Bravo, uh, seven, eight, nine in Charlie. Now we were Bravo company, so we were the fourth platoon. So we used to joke around and we call ourselves like six and a half platoon because we couldn't be seven platoon because seven <laughs> platoon was in Charlie company. So, but we were we were call sign two four. So what's what's the op tempo like at this time? Like how often are you going outside the wire? Get you know on, on a fucking planned operation. So versus presence patrols and all that crap. Like where you're going on an op, you know you're going to get kinetic. And by that I mean they're going to get into a fucking gunfight. Like, how? What's the tempo like? I, like? I know 108's hot. Six to nine was hot. It was hot, yeah. So I mean, so. I I want to say we probably only uh, like during like that like seven month period we probably only did like three deliberate like deliberate like major major operations. Yeah. Um, the rest of the time there's a lot of presence because uh, you know we're trying to you know win hearts and minds and Bravo Company was in. Uh, 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 Panjway, uh, Panjway West, and one of the the main supply routes we uh, at the time was called Route Foster's. Uh, it changed names a bunch of times. Some guys will know it as I think Hy- it was known as Hyena for a while. Or anyway, um, and about every you know three or four kilometers, they had a different combat outpost. Um, so when we were uh, in Patrol Base Spurwangar, which was where the the company was. Um, we were getting ready to move out to one of the uh, smaller combat outposts as a platoon. Uh, we were going to move out to an area in Panjway West called Zangabad. Uh, we because uh, we'd been relieving the uh, uh, the Royal Twenty Second Regiment. So yeah, uh, they closed that down on on three hundred nine. Yeah, like they they were we were fucking rolling inward. Mm-hmm. So okay. yeah, so that was out there, right? Absolutely. So essentially what we're trying to do is kind of do like what we call like a left seat, right seat. It's like they just don't want to throw you to the lions. So they would send us out there with uh, one of these other platoons and we could do we could do some patrols. Our, our commanders would patrol with their platoon. So they could show us kind of the lay of the land, go areas, no go areas, yeah. you know, what's friendly, where you're going to get in a gunfight, you know, what to expect in this area of operation. Uh, so like within, it seemed fairly quick. I want to say it was like within a week. Uh, we were occupying this uh, uh, this outpost, and uh, actually a few of these outposts um, uh, along uh, uh, Foster's. We had a small section house. There was not a lot out. Do you there. like camping? Yeah. So we had these uh, uh, these compounds that were probably only like if they were you know 100 meters by 100 meters or less. Right. Uh, and they were made out of like Hesco bastions. I mean, how would you describe a Hesco? Like picture They're like a big. Um... Pillars filled with sand and, and gravel, and yeah. wire. They're actually, I think they're a fucking Canadian invention, or they not? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, picture uh, like a giant bucket. They work, bucket that they you work fill. quite well. I'll, yeah. try, I'll try to slide in a photo of them. Um, yeah, and so you're living in this Hesco Bastion fort, fucking little fort, hundred yeah. by a hundred. You know, washing and shaving out of a fucking, we're not shaving. Out of a wash basin, like you're yeah. you're you're fucking out there, yeah. right? And every day, you know, our our day to day, we would uh, we patrol the local areas, uh, and I mean, more often than not, you'd go out, you'd, you'd get into a gunfight, uh, and it got to a point where it was almost kind of like Groundhog Day, like you know, if you went like southwest of whatever outpost, yeah. you were going to get in a gunfight that day. Um, but sometimes, for whatever reason, you'd have to go to. Uh, you had to go to these weird places and get in gunfights. Uh, one time in particular, uh, in order to get mail shipped out to us, they had to get bring it out to us by helicopter. And uh, at one point in time, there wasn't enough uh, like military uh, airlift, so they, the Canadian government contracted um, this civilian helicopter company, and they flew these old Russian like like Mi five hips, hips and, shit. and they yeah. were and they were and they were like avoid- fucking okay. You didn't did you go to Bosnia? No, no, I wasn't. Oh in yeah, Bosnia. man, these fucking guys were flying yeah. the hips and like smoking by the fuel tank, and you're like, oh, we're gonna yeah, die. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like what was that? Like no, that? I'm tracking. Yeah, yeah, like one of those movies. Like well, anybody seen Triple Frontier when they're trying to fly yeah. over the Andes? Like that was an old Russian hip. So they'd have these things, and they were bright white, and they had like a blue stripe, and. 
they'd fly these things out to and us to drop off these supplies. These guys didn't give a fuck. No. Like they, and they not were, a worry in the world. No, not a worry. These Whatever. Guys, yeah, they have like leather helmets on. They look like cosmonauts. Yeah. It was pretty interesting. But, uh, and whereas a military aircraft, like a, a Blackhawk or, or a Griffin, it would, it knew where we were. It would show up. I mean, it would, thing would land hard, push everything out, gone. And it would have gunships, like an Apache kind of circling above, just making sure, you know, people were behaving. But these guys would just kind of corkscrew, and you could see them coming a mile out, and then, you know, more often than not, from wherever, somebody would shoot at them. And yeah. they have everything in a sling load, so picture like a, a rope dangling below this helicopter with a net full of our bag stuff. Of, bag of your mail from your fucking old lady <laughs> yeah, off the bottom. Whatever. Or, like, or, Fuck, yeah, whatever. that guy's going to get shot down. Yeah, and as soon as they would get shot at, because they're civilians, and they're not, they don't have gunship escorts or nothing like that, they would drop. This sling load, and it would fall. And it was five grid squares away yeah, from and, where it was supposed to be. And they'd always drop it in the worst possible places. Like yeah. the place you always get in a gunfight, that's where they drop it. And more and short and they're like, Yeah, you need to go recover this. And we're like, by the time we get there, like the locals would have pillaged it, there's gonna be nothing left. Like you have to go recover it. All right. So yeah, our, our platoon commander would be like, okay, boys, you know, ammo, water, leave everything else behind, let's go. And he would give a set of orders to say pretty much like, yeah, we're going to get in a gunfight. Let's yeah. uh, try to stay alive here. And sure enough, we go down, we'd find nothing. We get in a gunfight, we come back. So how long does this go on before you get re-rolled? So like I said, started as a second in command of a section. Now prior to deployment, the, uh, the, the sniper platoon and the unit master sniper and two PPC lie, he was aware of every person in the battalion that was deployed that held a sniper So he's the UMS, which is the unit master sniper, correct? Yes, correct. For two VP? For, for the second battalion, yes. Okay, so you're with the third. I was with the third. And I get it. We have everybody and his dog fucking goes on every road. Absolutely. So the UMS was two VP. You're with the third, and he knows every fucking guy that's qualified, qualified. sniper. Absolutely. And suddenly he has a requirement. He has a requirement. Okay. So normally you'll have 16 snipers that will operate in uh, uh, four four-man detachments. Well, these guys, because of, uh, you know, um, HLTA leave while we were there, you know. Whatever. We, yeah. We'd get three weeks off. So they'd be operating shorthanded. So a lot of times they'd be operating in uh, three-man detachments. Now you got the same amount of equipment, but now it's divided amongst three instead of four. So while they were there, they're like, okay, you guys that are qualified in the platoons, we're going to pull you into snipers. So, I mean, that was like a lot, like, you know, winning the lottery as far as I was concerned. I'm like, I went from being a rifleman, which was great, and my platoon was awesome, but they're like, you're going to snipers, and I'm like, Yahtzee. Uh, so I got pulled into snipers, and um, uh, yeah, so, you know, we get, uh, you know, pulled in to do whatever sniper tasks were needed. While we were there, um, like, we did do some, uh, I don't want to say direct actions, but we were part of some major operations. And a lot of times, uh, once again, it's not always that uh, that sexy a job. Um, uh, we deploy usually, you know, 24, 48 hours before so the So that's, that's the question. Um, to simplify without fucking violating OPSEC, because it still applies today. If you can generalize the role of, of a sniper debt in an environment like Afghanistan and what it brings to the battlefield and what it's typically, typically tasked to go do. Uh, so like you said, like you said earlier, like pulling the trigger is like less than 10% of what we do. It's, you know, intelligence gathering is, is our, our, our main focus. Uh, but with that, we, you know, we, we have that oper- that ability to go kinetic if we need to. And the good thing about, uh, about snipers is a commander can really minimize collateral damage with snipers. Absolutely. Because we're sending one round, you know, in a very specific direction. It's not like, you know, dr- dropping a bomb from an airplane or, uh, you know, even letting loose with a coax or anything like that. It's, it's you know, it's, it's very, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Discriminatory. Absolutely. So dropping a bomb's one thing. The plane flies over, the bomb drops, bad guys, some die, some live. And there's always um, a chance for for a civilian. Sure, that, yeah. but they're gone. At the end of the day, when it's a sniper, the bad guy never knows when that whether that guy's gone or not. And so they constantly live in that fucking space. That so. space. And and a commander's usually willing to kind of accept that that kind of risk due to the fact that yep. the chance of collateral damage uh, of somebody accidentally getting killed by a sniper, it's slim, extremely, slim, extremely, extremely minimal. Low. Yeah. yeah, you know so. So that's you know one of the upsides of snipers. 
So uh, when we deploy on a major operation, uh, what would happen is like the unit master sniper, which is usually a warrant officer, uh, he'll, he'll go to orders. Uh, he'll receive his commander's intent. And now he, like I said, he's the unit master sniper. He's the subject matter expert on the employment of snipers. And he works directly for the commanding officer and the yeah. operations officer. So when he receives the, uh, uh, the orders from the commanding officer, he thinks, okay, how can I best help the commanding officer achieve his intent? What can I do? Where can I place these snipers? What can I do? So he will, you know, develop a plan and then he'll brief, just like a company commander or any other supporting arm, you know, element commander, he'll brief the, uh, the, um, the commanding officer say, this is what snipers can do for you to help you achieve your intent, sir. And, you know, the commanding officer will be like, yes, no, or yes, but, you know, let's tweak some timings or some insertion methods and, and then off you go. So you get, you get sucked into snipers. Yes. You're dancing a fucking jig. Yeah. Not that you're discontent with what you're oh, no, doing. Oh, no, not at all. You're happy. However, now you're doing what you fucking wanted to do. Yeah, I'm, li- I'm living the dream. So you're, you're, you're with the fucking cool kids. Yeah. Um, how much, what balance of the tour is remaining, and what's your tempo like? And I'm not talking about trigger time. I'm just talking about doing all the other shit that snipers do. So how much of the tour are you doing sniper shit? And I don't mean pulling. I'll, I'll say probably everything. two. You know, first third of the tour, first two months uh, was was uh, rifle platoon, rifle company stuff. The yeah. last, uh, you know, the last uh, three to four months was uh, uh, was sniper related stuff. So yeah, like I said. The, uh, the unit master sniper received those orders, and then when, when he'd get his plan blessed, then he'd come back to his sniper detachments, and if he had four detachments, he might deploy two, keep two in reserve, whatever his plan was. And a lot of times we deploy, you know, 24 to 48 hours earlier. Snipers want to get out early, because the earlier we can get out, the more intelligence we can send back. Absolutely. We, we can develop pattern of life, in, things like this. Out. It, we'll, we'll go in, and sometimes then we'll help develop that pattern of life. So if we've got a, a platoon or a company coming up, we'll cover a flank, and we'll just kind of let them know this is what's been going on. And uh, in the event that they get contacted, uh, or you know, if people start shooting at them, chances are we may have already we may already have a good idea where they're getting shot at from. We can kind of zero in on that, and uh, we can neutralize that target. You know, we can help our you know our brothers in the rifle companies. And what do you? Uh, we're gonna sound appease the gun nuts that are out there, because <laughs> I know they're fucking on the keyboard right now, or they will be. My assumption and guess, and you can quantify that, is that you got 338 with the Timberwolf. Yes. And 50 caliber McMillan. Absolutely. Did you have 7.62? We did. Uh, so, so you had the full spectrum. We had the full, we had the full spectrum, and uh, kind of like the same way I think we kind of acquired these Leopard tanks. It was kind of like an off-the-shelf, last-minute purchase in Afghanistan. Yeah, we got a lot of shit. We got a lot of shit. 7s, fucking tanks. A- absolutely, yeah. and our 7.62 semi-automatic uh, sniper rifles that we received were kind of received the same way. Yeah. And what we, uh, what we were given were uh, Armalite uh, AR-10 Tangos. So really, oh, for that's a good fucking gun. Yeah, so it's, yeah. yeah, fabulous. She was a little, little bit temperamental, but but accurate and you know dependable enough. So I mean, for anybody that's wondering what the hell that thing is, met it, the aim. It met the aim, yes. And you know, it was it was you, you could suppress it, twenty round magazines. So it was like an oversized uh, AR fifteen or a C seven for for everybody out there, um, and uh, topped off with a uh, three to twelve power uh, Schmidt and Bender. Uh, you know, fabulous uh, rifle. So that was actually my rifle. That was my personal weapon system that I carried with me. Okay. Uh, and the guy I was spotting for, he was uh, he had the uh, he had a three thirty eight, uh, the uh, Timberwolf made by yeah. Prairie Gunworks in uh, uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's a great gun. Yeah, fabulous gun. And the uh, the Tac fifty. That was one of those. The Tac fifty. I mean, this this thing is like like you know 50, 60 pounds. Uh, it's a, it's a monster. You didn't just take this thing out for you know for fun because it was it was a mon- like, And by the way, Canada holds the world record for the longest fucking shot. Yes, we do. Actually, we hold uh, three of the top five longest shots. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, number one, number four, number five. So, what's your uh, typical mission task? Is it mostly, I guess. Recce intelligence gathering. Yeah, or, l- or is it is it. I don't want to get into it. We're not going to fucking go, what's your longest shot? We're not going to go, you know, how many guys have you killed? We're not fucking doing that here. <laughs> but the, there's a fact that you may be sent to take out, you know, a high value target or fucking get eyes on in in the event that that needs yeah. to escalate to that level, now, right? So help, like help, 
yeah help everybody understand what that so i mean sounds like i mean in the once again like you know hollywood does a good job portraying what sure snipers do. do and man. most of the time it's like you know special forces guys like you know okay here's a picture yeah. of a dude you're, you're, and you're gonna go movie loved it yeah and you're gonna go shoot this dude for us like so someone's saying okay like a high value target you're thinking oh like oh Osama bin Laden, high value target for the, us it wasn't so much that like a high value target for a an army sniper would be a crew served weapon or a comm suite. Absolutely. Right? That's a high value target. So Something it's not, that creates the conventional fucking guys on the ground a battlefield advantage by fucking neutralizing that. Absolutely. That so, thing. exactly. So, if there's right any crew serve weapons or communication suites out there, those were things that we were looking for. Yeah. We'd try to neutralize those targets because those are things that can hurt our brothers the most. So, uh, a lot of tasks that we'd be given, I mean, we get, we'd be given a lot of cover tasks, uh, a lot of surveillance tasks. And sometimes, like a surveillance task, could turn into a covering task. Uh, and we were—it's not we were going out with the intent to, you know, uh, to, to shoot everything moving, but we'd move into position, get the lay of the land, pattern of life, and then in the event that the rifle company that was doing, say, a cordon search on a village, uh, if they were contacted, uh, and we were in a an advantageous position where we could we had better eyes on everything, we'd locate, you know, where they were taking fire from, and we'd sort it out. Now, to also fucking demystify this, the movies will have you believe that snipers show up and then in 19 seconds, the fucker, there's a bad guy there and they go whack. The reality of life is they spend fucking hours, if not days, getting into a position. And then when they get there, they sit there for more hours and days and observe flies fucking each other. Yeah. Realistically, yeah, we'll get into a position, and if you're compromised, if you're seen getting into your position, can't stay there, you got to move. Or if you take a shot from that position, you don't want to stay there anymore because you could have potentially been compromised, even if you don't know it, you got to move. And when you get into a position, if you know you're going to be there for a while, you need to get into a routine. So there's four of you guys, you know, you, if you're going to be out there for, you know, 72 hours or even 48 hours, uh, you're not going to be you know, awake for 48 hours. So you get into a routine. You're like, okay, you know, here's your shift. Here's my shift. Uh, and you'll develop your position. So if you need to add camouflage to your position or if you need to build up your shooting position, you'll start, you know, you'll start log. You'll, you'll have like a, a log of everything from your, your uh, uh, like the, the pattern, like what the locals have been doing. If you've noticed anything, if you notice anything uh, that you think is of particular importance, that could be of particular importance to like yourself or the commander. You hop on a radio, right? You know, I mean, the most powerful thing we have in our sniper dead is our radio. I mean, realistically, I mean, because that, no, that's fair. You know, I mean, that can bring a lot of uh, a, a lot of hate to bear on an objective. I mean, we could, you know, I mean, yeah, great. We've got a fifty caliber rifle or a three thirty eight, you know, caliber rifle, and that could take out one dude. But you know, on the other end of that radio, I mean, we've got you know, we've got artillery call signs that can vaporize a grid square. Fast air, every, everything, all right? the assets you want based on the intelligence package, yeah. the target package you've put together by fucking lying in the weeds for that long, creates an unbelievable. And this is important for all you people that fucking think that it's all about putting a bullet down range. You know, the the intelligence you get from a sniper debt. And what you can put on that target instead of a fifty caliber yeah. three thirty eight round. Yeah. If you can go with fast air, artillery, whatever, yeah. it's fucking unprecedented. It is from an intelligence point of view. I mean, we, you know, we live in a world where we got technology and we've got aircraft stacked up to the moon, uh, and we, we see all these drones, and that, that's one thing. But a drone is not a person on the ground. When you got a man on the ground looking through glass, we are trained observers. Like on our course, that's one of our our performance objectives is observation. We have to sketch objectives, we have to find things, we have to see things that other people don't see. Yeah. And we have to make sense of it, and we have to be able to you know, communicate that to hire. And it, I'm, I'm, I'm most certainly not a sniper. Um, I did make marksman every year, though. boy. But I am a fucking forward observer, so the, it's the same principle. Yeah, exactly, it's same principle. forward observer, it's the same shit. It's, it's not just about putting fucking steel on a target. There's more going on. Yeah, so um, so that was fucking awesome. Okay, let's talk about you're in snipers in Afghanistan. Walk me through, walk us through battle rhythm. Like, 
what's it like the day to day, not not the Hollywood bullshit, the actual real deal. So I mean, the day to day. I mean, transitioning away from say like a deliberate operation. Uh, I mean, our day to day in uh, in Afghanistan on uh, Task Force One Hundred Eight. Uh, the way the snipers were kind of employed and kind of, I'll say, broken up amongst the battle group was they had uh, a four-man sniper detachment attached to each uh, rifle company. So uh, B Company had a... a wow, de- that's actually a lot more than I thought you had. Yeah, so we had f- four four-man detachments. At any given time, though, one of those detachments could have been on... on uh, you know, three-week leave block on an HLTA, as we go. Okay, right? yeah, fair enough. Right, yep. so we'd have so we'd have three. Uh, granted, we had two rifle companies, which means we had one one uh, sniper debt at all times, kind of as a floater, and and they would support battle group operations or whatever they whatever the CO deemed they needed to do. So uh, the uh, the call sign that I was with was a uh, call sign six five Charlie, uh, and on the net we referred to ourselves as six five Chaos. Because you know we watch a lot of American movies, and then we just when we get out, we just kind of like drop. I love it. Yeah, we drop the six five, and we just roll as we like chaos. Chaos. Yeah. So it was. That's it was. It was pretty awesome, cool, man. And that wasn't even me. That was my because for the for the viewers here, Canada doesn't get cool fucking call no. signs like the Americans do. We're just numbers and letters. Whereas you know the Americans got these fucking dope, yeah. wicked, cool yeah, call do. signs. Yeah. So if you get an opportunity to fucking steal one, you take it. Yeah. So that you know, that's awesome. That was bro. awesome. Yeah, we, yeah. You know, six six five Charlie. You know, uh, the, the the six five chaos. And then we drop the six five and just roll this chaos on the net. So and it nobody's was, gonna fucking argue. No, and nobody really argued with it. We just kind of rolled with it. It wasn't my idea. It was my. Uh, I love it though. Yeah, that's it was fucking. That's cool. It was my uh, my sniper deck commander, and he's uh, yeah he's still in repairs, and he's uh, nice. Yeah, he's a uh, he's an awesome dude. So. Yeah, so we so we were attached to uh, Bravo Company yeah. of the uh, the Second Battalion, which coincidentally enough was my uh, rifle platoon. Call sign two uh, four was uh, was the fourth platoon in Bravo Company. So even when we were in patrol base Spurwangar, although I was attached to the snipers, I could still interact with my old platoon. So it was it was pretty good uh, because in the army, you know, we're all like super tribal. And although we were a third battalion. Yeah. And we're light guys, you know, airborne, you know, paratroopers attached to, you know, uh, mechanized unit or as we like to call them, power legs. Because, uh, you know, we all got to rip on each other, right? Uh, everybody's, Always. You know, everybody's better than everybody else, right? So um, so, that, so that was pretty good. But our, our day-to-day would be whatever the company commander or whatever was kind of going on in that area of operation. If the company commander deemed like, uh, I want to get, you know, eyes on or I want to know what's going on in a, in a particular area, but I don't want, you know, the enemy... To know that they're being observed, because a lot of times you could send a presence patrol through, and you could send a uh, a rifle platoon like 30, 40 guys through. But when you send all these guys through, then everybody, all the locals, they're always under best behavior, um, because if you're rolling through an area like you know 30, 40 deep, and they know we've got air assets stacked up to the moon, and you know tanks and APCs and, and, and whatever else, everybody is on their best behavior. So, help me understand this. How did you guys interact and work with? With Recce Platoon. So Recce Platoon is a reconnaissance, dedicated reconnaissance asset um, to a company. Like a large chunk of infantry guys. They have guys that just do reconnaissance. Which means if you have sniper deaths attached to that battalion, how do you? How did you work with Recce? Well, sometimes... It would depend because like, well, was, Re- was it sympathetic or? Oh yeah, we we'd work in conjunction with each other. We'd help each other out because Recce uh, is a much bigger organization. Than snipers. It's, it's very much a parallel role. Absolutely. Okay. We because once again, in order to be qualified sniper, uh, prerequisite is you have to be qualified basic reconnaissance patrol. Yeah. So we we have a lot of uh, a, a lot of similar traits, but for us, we have that ability to use our, our sniper rifles to go kinetic and and engage uh, long range you know, engage targets with long range precision rifle fire. But uh, reconnaissance, oftentimes what they'll do on major operations is they'll do what's called a recce mark secure. So they will actually um, do reconnaissance of a large objective area and they will lay it out, say, okay, a company or you know, a battle group should lay, put their fire base here, put their assault here. They'll get you know, a good vantage point somewhere and then they can bring in a right. rifle company and they'll be like, yeah, come here, come, you know, follow me, sir. You know, here's what I have for you. Here's the information I have, which, you know, here are the positions that would probably best serve your company to, uh, you know, conduct his operation. That's a, that is a, a purely recce task. I mean, snipers, I guess in a pinch we could do it because we are recce patrolmen, but that is, 
that's like, you know, it's one of those recce bread and butter things. It's, it's something that they do, and they do it much better than we do. I'm never going to take that away from recce. Um, whereas, like I said, we, you know, we've got our rifles and we can provide that, 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 that kinetic solution that, you know, when, uh, when required. Uh, but sometimes uh, recce would do a cordon search on a village or they were going to move into a position and we could provide overwatch for them. So okay. in the event that if they get lit up, uh, if, you know, if they get shot at, uh, we can help identify those targets uh, neutralize those targets or allow, say, you know, a, a foo or somebody from Recce Platoon to, uh, you know, call in fast air or indirect on on that target, right? So we'd, we'd work with each other. A lot of times they'd provide transport for us or they'd help resupply us or they'd pick us up. Or, you know, there's times where we've been in, you know, bad places surrounded by worse people and there's four of us and we don't have the ability to extract ourselves and Recce would come in and, you know, and they'd save our ass. They'd get us out of there. So let's segue down that path um i'm sure the viewers want to hear a war story you know strap on the fucking wash basin and bungee cord give me what's the most fucked up weirdest intense whatever like and, and I, I know I'm putting you on the spot because I've been there where it was, well, what's the worst shit you've ever been in? I'm like, well, that's a fucking arbitrary fucking conversation. Absolutely, yeah. No, right? I think so, I... like, just spit something out that stands out in your brain is, is <clears throat> like, an intense doesn't have to meet, mean you're getting it on. It just means there's a lot of weird fucking shit going on. There's, there's things <laughs> going through the air that you can't Absolutely. Control. So I remember take me take me take us through that. Early, earlier, I said you know a lot of times in the army it's uh, you know um, right place, right time. Yeah. And so uh, my you know call sign uh, you know two four my rifle platoon they were going out to do a, a coordinate search on a village which you know they were it was a task given to them by the company commander. Um, so I want to say maybe you know six to twelve hours prior to that, and it was me and my sniper. We didn't go on a four man detachment; we went on a two man team. So it was me and my and uh, my spotter. We went out. So we were we were going to move in. We did a, a quick you know. Uh, so you're the number one. I was number one. I was okay. I was a shooter, and yeah. uh, and uh, and Nick was spotting. So we do you know we pull out our maps. We do a quick you know map reconnaissance. Like okay, this is where we're going to go. This looks like a a good position that we could set up a final fire position in so that would allow us to uh, observe the village, you know, determine pattern of life so we could relay it back to the platoon yeah. before they move forward. So we find, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty flat there, uh, and there was a, we found a great putt. You could see it on, you know, those really nice maps they used to have where you could see, <laughs> you could see each individual yeah. buildings and they were numbered and it was, it was fabulous. Not these one to 50,000 maps we got to deal with in like Wainwright or Gagetown or Dogstown yeah. like that. So... We're like, right, we could probably get into this gray putt. And you know how they had those thatch roofs on them. We're like, we could probably, with our ghillie suits, we could, you know, we could blend in. Sure. Get up there. We could get in a good position with our binoculars, our spotting scopes, our radio. And we could sit up there, on, you know, and remain unseen. So we get to this this gray putt. Uh, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna back it up, actually. Kind of funny story. I was talking with, with my spotter that night. Or a, a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "Remember that time?" He goes, "We were doing that operation." He goes, "We were doing cordon search." He goes, "For two four. I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "He goes, you remember?" He goes, "When he goes, you kind of like short stepped." He goes, "And you like fell down in a grape field." He goes, "And I, and I thought like you fell down in a well," and uh, he looks at me and he's like, "He's like, are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine." He's like, "Well, shut the fuck up because they're gonna hear us <laughs> in the middle of the night." Okay, so, I gotta ask you something. I have to interrupt. Fucking tell me you had better night vision shit than I had. No, we had a PVS-14. Probably the same as you had. Like, fucking, it was so bad. Yeah. So, I had a fucking C8A3 with an EOTAC. We had this bullshit Mm. IR setting on it. And, like, you fucking put your shit on IR. And it, because it, the the fucking NVGs we have are such junk. There's no depth perception, right? So, it's like... I can either see this giant red dot that I can't see the target, or I can see the target, and and it's just this fucking blur. It was fucking terrible. So man. we we were dealing with. Did the you same, have the same shit that I had? We, we had the same same oh, shit. Oh fuck! And it was one of those. I nights, can't believe you guys had yeah. the same shit night vision yeah. that we had. Now I think the ones that we like, had like fuck this stuff. I think the ones that we had the the lenses on them were like a little less scratched up, and they were 
Ours were fucking junk, bro. <laughs> ours were ours were too bad, all things considered, at the time. So, so anyway, so I fall in this mud hole and I, I stand up and because I, I fell, myself off. I fell in a fucking same thing. I'm going through a fucking field, tilled field, gray putts. This bomb is out in the middle of nowhere. We're gonna hump in there. It's outside the city, and I thunder in in this fucking ditch, and I'm lying there all fucked up. Because I couldn't see shit, man. No. Especially on those particularly dark nights. Like, sometimes you have a lot of natural loom and some nights not so much. So this was one of these nights. Not so much a loom. So it's very dark. So anyway, so we carry But your optics are good. Our optics are good. Yeah, you know, we've we've got a... uh, What's known as a, a SIMRAD, so picture like a, a, a fancy IR device that we clipped to the top of our yeah. scope. So it allows us to see at night, no big deal. Uh, so we get to our gray putt, which is what our, our predetermined position we want to get to. So uh, so we get in there. Now this thing is, it's, it's chained up, it's, it's locked. So, okay, we're like right on. A lot of these gray putts are never locked, but whatever. So we managed to kind of get yeah, in. Yeah, that's different. That's different. So we kind of get in, we managed to kind of, you know, Jimmy lock and we get in. And you know, in the corner of the gray putts, they had like the uh, uh, sticks. So it was almost like a ladder. Yep. So, we, so yep. we, we we climb up and we get up there and sure enough, we provide overwatch and then we're there all night. We're watching pattern. Well, like, so you're up on Oh the yeah, so now we're up and we've got okay. our we've got our ghillie suits on. So a ghillie suit is like a uh, picture, like a, a net over you with, um, uh, with burlap. And then we had some natural camouflage tied off plants and, and whatever, whatever was around to make us blend into our natural surroundings. So we had that on our ghillie suit. So we're in position, and then as the uh, as the platoon starts to move in at first light, we're talking to them. They're talking to us. We're like, "Yeah, you know, everything's good. Carry on." Uh, so we get in, and as they're withdrawing, we collapse our position. We're like, "Okay, good." They're, they've kind of withdrawn back past a, a predetermined point. That we're like, "Once we're past this point, we'll collapse our position. We'll link up with the platoon, and we'll kind of we'll we'll move out with them." Right. So we get down. In this uh, this gray pot, and I'm looking at it. as as I get down, there's like a piece of paper at my foot, and I and I, and I pick it up and I look at it. And I actually still I think I, I actually held this on this piece of paper. And I still have it, and what it was it was an ammo, like you know like you you'll get like a you buy a box of twenty rounds of, of whatever at, at Cabela's like the cardboard box that the twenty rounds of ammo comes yeah. in. Picture that, but it was flattened out on the ground, and it was like seven six two by thirty nine with like Russian writing on it. And I'm just like, what the hell. And we look around, and there's like some bales of hay and stupid shit in there. And we kind of start poking around because we're dumb. And we find like a bunch of 82 recoilless uh, rockets and grenades. Oh, so you're, you're, sitting just, on a, you're sitting on a weapons cache. We were sitting on a weapons and ammo cache. Like, we yeah. had no idea. We were there all night, and then we climbed down, and now it's daytime. <laughs> and there's all this shit here, right? And it's like, now I'm like, this is why it was locked, right? <laughs> Yeah, why is there a lock on this? Ah, eh, fuck. Don't and then, about it. as soon as we, you know, we we come to yeah. the realization where we are, gunfire happens. And next, you know, the platoon is in a gunfight outside. We're like, God, because the the bad guys are like, <laughs> oh, hey, those assholes those found our shit. shit yeah, <laughs> or, or who who knows why? Or whatever, yeah, whatever. But anyway, yeah. so then, yeah, so we kind of, you know, so that was a bit of an exciting, you know, morning. And um, yeah, it was a, you know, the, the platoon got in a bit of a dust up, and then we kind of had to. Uh, they, they covered us back out of our position to move back through a great field so we get back to like the, uh, like the, I wouldn't even call it an MSR, a main supply route, but yeah, one of the yeah. main... Uh, main go- road to get back to yeah. home. One of the main go trails in this village. Yeah. So we had to get back so we could link up with the platoon. We took up another fire position uh, so that way the platoon could extract back past us because then we were in the clear by then, right? Yeah. So, so I don't know, there you go. There's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a war story, you know, and then... But it's a fucking fun one, man. Because the the best war stories are always when some weird shit happens that you didn't plan on. You didn't plan on it. And you laugh at it later. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing, so later on we actually, they sent our platoon back to, uh, or they sent the platoon back to, uh, because we we passed up the information that this was there and we can't do anything with it. Right. So they actually went back and they kind of took that shit out of there. And brought it back to their combat outpost in Zangabad, and they kind of went through and they cataloged and documented. But they actually found a like a little black book full of uh, uh, like names and phone numbers. And and uh, the rumor has it it kind of got pushed back to uh, the headquarters, and it got it, you know it, it was pushed up to higher. Yeah. And apparently there's some useful information in it, right? That, that was all we ever heard about you know it. What though? Like I can I can tell you firsthand from the shit that I did. A little piece of tape on a bomb mm-hmm. can lead to a fingerprint. That maybe led to uh, 
fucking rolling up a fucking local employee in calf and exactly. putting, putting a guy off taking a guy off the fucking yeah. chessboard that shit matters yeah. and that and that's what yeah. uh, you guys did yeah. and that's that's invaluable it's yeah. it's more than uh the movie show yeah. with the crosshairs on on some fucking cartel drug lord or some yeah. Taliban leader and going pop what what snipers bring to the table yeah. is absolutely fucking invaluable and monumental and most people don't get that because they only know what 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 Hollywood tells them yeah so let's go to tours winding down what what happens when you come back so you're you you got your fucking time in theater as a sniper and now you're coming home where where does your career go what direction do you go in when you come back right on so one thing i'll I'll just say uh prior to going down that road there uh okay so I, I think for for me the most important thing like being a sniper was was supporting those rifle companies was supporting those yeah those, sure. those those guys because I I know just like I told like I said earlier you know having a sniper on a battlefield is very demoralizing when this person is shooting at you however when you are operating for and you know you got snipers in support it's good for your morale oh you're like that, these guys these that, guys have been out there these guys you know it it, it makes it. it it raises their yes. morale, and these guys are going in there with some confidence that they're like, you know, we know these guys. These are our friends. These are our brothers. Yeah. They're like, man, my brothers have been out there for 24 hours, and they've been pushing back information. So we're going to go in. We're going to conduct this operation, and we got real-time information. Yeah. Not from a drone. Not from, you know, some intel that may or may not be accurate. No, a guy on the ground. A guy that, on the that, ground. That's a very good point. I'm, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. If you're a fucking conventional fucking soldier on the, on, on, in the battle space... Knowing you have snipers in direct support and knowing what they bring to the game, that brings your fucking morale up because you know the bad guy's heads down and he's fucking stressed because it's a huge force multiplier. That's the word. Right? Yeah. That's the word, that's man. The word. I haven't brought it up till now, but that's what snipers are. It's been said a million times before. Get on your Google machines. Yeah. Snipers emphatically are a fucking force multiplier, and uh, that may sound overused. It is not. They are hundred percent a force multiplier, both from the benefit to the fucking guys we're supporting that you're talking about, and the negative impact on on the enemy. So yeah, snipers yeah, and like glad you brought it up. Yeah, snipers. We're we're part of a of combat support company. You know, focus on that word support. You know, we're not the main event. We're not the main show. We are there to support our brothers in the rifle companies and the rifle platoons. Like, they're, they're, these are the guys that are, are, are doing the business. We're there to support them and make sure that they're able to do their jobs, right? Like, like I said, Hollywood likes to glamorize snipers. Yeah. But it's the guys that, it's, you know, it's, it's the private soldier. It's the sapper. It's the gunner. These are the guys that make it happen, right? We're there to support them and make sure that they can do their job. And that's exactly how that force multiplier fucking term makes their jobs better absolutely it's, it's every asset that can bring a benefit you know especially psychological is a big fucking deal absolutely it is I, I can't stress enough the psychological impact of knowing the sniper in the battle space is huge so that's that's a big deal so right on i'm glad you brought that up yeah. so tour is done you get into snipers you got the taste you come home what happens next? So uh, we get home <clears throat> towards like you know uh, fall time frame two thousand and eight. Uh, by spring of uh, two thousand and nine, I kind of progress now. You know, so I'm a master corporal. I end up in Gagetown on my sniper detachment commander course, which is like a sniper leadership course for yeah. you know master corporal sergeants. So on that course, we learn about uh, you know how to conduct a basic sniper course, and as well as how to conduct uh, sniper operations at like a, a four-man detachment level. So how to receive orders and how to back brief company commanders. Okay. Um, and as in two thousand nine, two thousand and ten, I uh, kind of roll right off of there onto my uh, advanced sniper course. So advanced sniper, same deal. We go into more depth with regards to live fire for sniper exercises, and then we go on to um, uh, back briefing uh, battle group, uh, battle group commanders or you know commanding officers. So the machine just keeps so the machine rolling. keeps going. So now now you know by 2010 I'm a sergeant uh, and I I'm in the third battalion. Uh, I'm the uh, alpha detachment commander. 
So I'm a senior deck commander within the uh, within the platoon. Uh, I'm running. Well, I'm involved with running uh, basic uh, sniper courses, which is a twelve week you know twelve week long course, fifty yeah. percent washout rate. Um, we uh, so we're, we're constantly conducting these courses as well as support battalion operations, battalion exercises, and all these things. And uh, in 2013, I become the unit master sniper for uh, three PPCLI, and I'm also double headed as the uh, brigade master sniper for uh, uh, the first Canadian mechanized brigade group. What are the odds you'd be double headed? Oh, classic army move. I'm lucky it wasn't triple or quadruple headed, <laughs> so I had an easy go. <laughs> well, there you go. I can't thank you enough for coming, bro. I know we have more content to discuss. Yeah, I'd love to come back. At a later date, he has to go to Wayne for a month. I don't anymore because I'm retired and he's fucking not. Um, uh, you got a taste of what the Canadian snipers do, a real taste, not, not the shit that Hollywood sells you. So I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, fuck, man, I, can't, I cannot thank you enough. I know you're empty. But Almost, not quite. Enough. And we're a wrap.